So we'll jump into the scripture here in just a moment, but uh, obviously it's, it's New Year, so a lot of us have already set a lot of resolutions, and it's a new decade, so hopefully you're maybe looking out 10 years, where do I want to be, you know, where maybe is the Lord leading, or uh, maybe some of you have already purchased gym memberships, or whatever it may be, uh, but New Year causes us uh, to do this. But what's interesting is, I think as humans, we're dissatisfied often. And we're always looking for some sort of hope. A hope of a better life, or maybe an ease of some of the circumstances that we're in. And so hope is what we're going to look at this morning uh, from the book of Hebrews. And for me personally, this is something that I've wrestled with uh, during deployment uh, in a time Uh, where hope was oftentimes difficult to see. So we'll get into some of that. uh, But again, I think it's our our demeanor to be dissatisfied, regardless of what we have in life. Uh, We're always hoping and scheming for this better future. In fact, I think most people might define hope, our culture at least, would define hope as an emotion or positive outlook excavated from the depth of one's soul. So we look to our own fortitude, we look to our own will, maybe a family member, maybe it's a new product that's going to make your life great. Or we look to the headlines for hope. But if you scour the headlines this past week, we can see that hope remains elusive. You see, I think hope is like a fire. The embers of hope combust, when we receive good news, but the reality is fuel for hope is no match for the elements. Wind, cold, and a steady rain. And I think over time what happens is that embers cool and the heat dissipates for our hope that we have in life. Hope, like a fire, sometimes dies if we're honest with ourselves. So hope is like this fire. The elements and the people in our lives affect that fire. Maybe it's a broken family relationship, uh, an ailment that's besetting you, or it's an unfulfilled dream. Without even realizing it, we allow our circumstances to control our hope. So, in the midst of all of this, how does the gospel speak to this human malady? How does the gospel speak to that? And this is where we will jump into Hebrews 6, verses 11 through 20, to gospel center our new decade. So let's read together, starting in verse 11. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly To the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, 
in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. All right, let's pray as we get started this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this encouragement that this author wrote to your people uh, in that time and space, Lord. And I pray that as we look at your word this morning and uh, that we might take hope from Jesus Christ, that we might take hope from this section of Scripture. So be with us and let your spirit teach us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I would argue this author of Hebrews knows a little something about hope. He knew the tendency of these Jewish Christians to drift from their faith and return to old sacrifices, uh, the, the old practices of sacrifice. You see, plenty of tangible things around them offered hope. Uh, People also offered hope. And to some extent, this Christianity that was spreading at the time, it's hard to have something tangible in the sense of hope. And so they're wrestling with this, and they experienced a lot of danger. They experienced uh, passive danger, drifting away from the faith. They experienced active danger. They would willfully... They could be willfully disobedient to the Lord, and they faced external danger as well, persecution from the authorities. You see, in such a world, I think the embers of hope were at risk. But like these Christians, we look to fuel our hope as well. And the world offers no shortage of options. Just flip on the latest commercial, and there is a promise of hope there. You see, our own experience in this passage shows us that we misplace our hope. We misplace our hope. We look to created sources. We seek hope that is as stable as a storm-tossed sea. You see, there's another option, and that is to anchor your hope in Jesus Christ. Anchor your hope in Jesus Christ because our hope is rooted in, In God's promise, his purpose, and his person. And we'll look at each one of these three things in turn. So this first one, promise. God's promise we can take hope in. So regardless of outward appearances, God keeps his promises. Look at verses 13 and 14 when it says, For when God made a promise, Abraham obtained the promise. The promise came to fruition. There's no conditionality here. It came to pass. God spoke and it happened. Now, let's take a second to remember Abraham, okay? He's no chump in the biblical storyline. God promised him to have descendants greater than the stars, yet his wife remained barren for some time. Even when Isaac was born, He was asked to sacrifice his son. He was also promised land, yet he only saw it from afar. So if anything, 
Abraham, I think, had difficulty at times seeing hope and, and having hope. His life was far from perfect. Abraham wrestled with hope, and oftentimes the promises appeared empty. Hopelessness waited in the shadows. But our text states that he obtained the goal of the promise. And we here today are descendants of Abraham by faith. So how does one nurture hope in such times? I think this is a hard question, and I know most of you in here in life have asked that question before. But it's, like I said, it's one that I recently wrestled with in Afghanistan as a pastor, as a chaplain. Uh, I was at Fob Dalki, which is south of Kabul, about 60 miles. I was the sole chaplain there at Dalki, and uh, I was responsible to care for over a thousand people uh, that were present at that location uh, with us. And, you know, deployment tends to wear on people over time. You're away from family. Uh, there we took a lot of rockets as well. So the alarm would go off and you'd hit the deck and you'd have just a couple seconds before who knows where that rocket would land. We had car bombs uh, that go off outside the gate uh, and we would hear news in, in Kabul or somewhere else that a suicide bomber uh, detonated his vest and killed many, many people, including children. And all of this is taking place in the desert where life is scarce. And so it was hard at times to see where life, where redemption was at work. Well, one day we almost lost one of our soldiers. Thanks be to God that we did not. But in the midst of all of this, I had difficulty seeing Jesus' redemption at work in such darkness. God, where is the light? Where is your redemption in the midst of all of this? Where is hope? in the midst of this war? You see, these are real questions. Real questions that we have to ask. At times, for me, I'd hope in politicians, maybe to make a peace deal, or I would hope at other times for a thaw in hostilities. You see, I hope for something to make the situation there better. But hope remained elusive. You see, like each one of you, I know where hope is found. I know hope is found in Jesus Christ. But I misplace my hope oftentimes in people or in things. I searched for it in created realities. Maybe a peace deal. Politicians would maybe eventually make some kind of decision to bring it to an end. And I hoped in T-walls to protect me from rockets. For you, maybe it's a chronic ailment or difficult relationship that drains your hope. You've exhausted every trick in the book, but nothing has eased the pain and the difficulty. Or it might be the challenging relationship or lifelong dream that fades as you get older. Life both zaps and offers us hope. But God's promise is the fountain of our hope. God's promise in Hebrews 13.5, just a, a couple pages over, says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
You see, this is a fire hydrant of gasoline thrown onto the embers of hope. It's explosive because God is with you. This passage here with this promise, it calls us to two things that we see Abraham did. It calls us to patience and it calls us to action. You see, the promise of salvation is always at work. Redemption is always at work regardless of the outward appearances. God calls us to patiently wait on Him in the midst of this promise. Whether it's in war, whether it's in the ailment, or that fading dream, God leads with promise. And while we wait, we also do so with diligent action. Our actions in our life, our ethos, the way we live, should demonstrate that we have this eternal hope in this promise that God has made to us. And this promise is one that cannot be extinguished. Now, who wants to be patient and stirred to diligent action when life is anything but tranquil? Well, this is the second point. Behind it all, there's a purpose. It isn't aimless. It isn't wandering. Now, I love coffee. And when I say that, I don't mean I, I love Folgers or just any grocery store shelf. In fact, my wife and I yesterday went to Las Cruces, uh, Picacho Coffee, and got some roasted same day, took it home, grinded it. So I'm a coffee snob, I, I confess that, and maybe a little too much at times. But the purpose of the coffee bean is to delight. I think God created a coffee bean to delight us. Thank you, especially from Presbyterians. Now, a bean's journey also shapes its purpose. So it really matters what that bean goes through. A bean is handpicked from a tree. It's harvested. It's washed, either wet, honey, or it's not washed in a natural process. And then it's dried before it's shipped. At the roaster, they prepare it. They roast it. And they can do uh, different types of roast on it. But it's finely tuned to extract various notes. Maybe blueberry, chocolate, almond, some nuttiness, or whatever it may be. Now, for that little bean, I think that process is probably painful. And sometimes maybe seems a little bit aimless. Because it's like, what? This is not fun, being put in this roaster. But it's necessary to delight, right? Finally, the bean is ground by the consumer where 200-degree water, at least for me, is, is poured over in a, a fashion. And after three minutes, the coffee bean lands its purpose finally. You have your cup of joe. But it came through that, or it came to that purpose. It's to delight the taste buds. That's the purpose of the coffee bean. And I believe this is the purpose that God intended for that bean. But in reality, I don't think we're much different, in a sense, from the coffee bean. God has hand-selected his people for a purpose. And we undergo this process in life in order that God might delight in us one day through Jesus Christ. That is our purpose, to delight 
and glorify the Lord. Now at times, just like the coffee bean, we may find it aimless or uncomfortable, but there is a purpose behind it all. You see, the story of God's people isn't happenstance. God doesn't aimlessly govern history. God's purpose is to have a holy people for His possession. And this promise to Abraham cemented His purpose for all of eternity. Verse 17 is clear when it says, So when God desired to show more convincingly the unchangeable character of His purpose, He guaranteed it with an oath. You see, God's Word, God's spoken words, do not need an oath because He cannot lie. But God used a human analog, an oath, to show us even more the certainty of His purpose to His people. To doubly allay Abraham's doubts. You see, God's purpose for His people is bound to His own character. And it's for this reason that Abraham held fast to the hope that was set before him. Nothing can thwart the purpose of God. Abraham was called to have faith in God's purpose even though he couldn't see much of the bigger picture, of the larger story. But our faith in God cultivates hope in His purpose. Our faith cultivates our hope. In fact, Calvin said, faith is the mother of hope. You see, our hope is birthed from our faith. God's purpose is the compass that orients our hope. We all know Romans 8.28. It's placed in many places. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. We will delight in the Lord and He in us because that is the purpose to which He has called us. But to be honest, I believe hope in God's purpose is one of the most difficult aspects of our faith. Maybe it's not a war situation, but maybe it's another situation that you're enduring. Our broken world can shatter any sense of hope. The parent who has shed countless tears and prayer for their children or child to make life-giving decisions. But years, but days turn to years and years to decades without any sign of hope, of change, after all these years of prayer. Or it could be any other number of prayers that we have for marriage, for children, or for a healthy work culture. You see, in these situations, hope means the parent, or you continue to pray and trust God's purpose, knowing that He handcrafts your story. When you and I trust in God's purpose, we cling to the hope set before us. But in this process of His purpose, uh, there are painful and seemingly aimless moments that roaster is not always comfortable. Still, the end of God's purpose is to delight in you for all of eternity. And because of Jesus, delight is the end of the story. So finally, person. You see, our hope isn't groundless because 
Hope isn't hope if it doesn't have some substance behind it. Our hope is permanently tethered to the finished work of Christ. Look at verses 19 and 20. It says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. God's promise and purpose is fully known and expressed in Jesus Christ. Our hope isn't simply anchored to just any words. You see, it is anchored to a person. Jesus Christ, the Word incarnate. Our hope, therefore, finds its permanent fulfillment in Jesus. You see, with Jesus, our hope is lifted out of the created world and placed into the uncreated person, Jesus. We no longer need to misplace our hope in our own resolutions, the Democrat or Republican parties, or the continued surge of the stock market. One thing that's beautiful here is that we live on this side of the cross. You see, Abraham did not know Jesus. Everything looked forward to that time. But we, with gratitude, look back at the cross and see how hope has blossomed. God's promise and purpose is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus has actually gone before us. So we don't go it alone. He faced the same fears and the dangers as we do. But Jesus came out victorious. Death no longer conquers. And so hope thrives in Jesus Christ. And because of this, Jesus is our sure and steadfast hope. Well, it's a concept well known in the ancient world, uh, this concept of an anchor. Uh, a permanent anchor does, what it does is it anchors the ship to a certain location. Now, if you think about it, uh, that anchor is below the surface. surface. It's going to uh, dig in and set itself uh, and permanently tether itself to the ground. Now, this is going to be the case regardless of the conditions at the surface. So you might have sunny skies and things are pleasant, nice day uh, for sailing or whatever it may be, but there could be a hurricane coming. Uh, regardless, the anchor does its job. But with sunny skies, I don't think anyone really ever notices the anchor. Do they? Maybe once in a while you think about it, but generally you're just enjoying the beauty of the, the sea. Uh, but it just still does its job, quietly anchoring the ship in place. But on the other hand, a person really notices an anchor when times are a bit more tenuous. There's maybe damaging winds, dangerous tides, and strong currents. But in all of this, the anchor still holds its place, unmovable by the conditions at the surface. A person on the ship may feel like they'll crash into a rock during a storm, but the anchor ensures that they'll stay put. You see, our experience in life is at the surface. Sometimes we have sunny times in life where things go well, and we, ah, hope, yeah, it's good, you know, I mean, we need it once in a while, right? But you really need hope to grasp onto it 
when the storms rage. And sometimes they're quite violent storms that we experience. You see, the anchor of our hope is Jesus Christ. The chains that come to the surface represent God's past faithfulness. You and I have a responsibility to cultivate hope in our lives, regardless of the surface conditions. And I think we do this oftentimes by being in community. You know, church isn't just some obligatory thing that we come and do because it's the right thing. No, but when we come to worship God, it it fuels our hope. Being in community, seeing, encouraging one another here every Sunday and throughout the week. So coming to worship, meeting in small groups frequently, and sharing life together. You just heard some of the announcements. There's many of these things that are going to start here soon. These things help fuel our hope. Because each one of us has a responsibility to confess where we have misplaced our hope. We all need to confess that. Many of you have just made resolutions for this new year, maybe the entire decade, and it's in search of a better X, a better life. But in that search, what do you hope will bring it to bear? And you also need to examine the why of your misplaced hope. What, what are your heart's motivations? Because I think they really do speak a lot to the hope that we have. Our motivations are sneaky. And I think it requires intentionality and prayer to solely anchor our hope in Jesus. Well, in this broken world, we seek hope and refuge. And for me, like I said, that was difficult at many times to to see that at work in a war situation. And regardless of the conditions, maybe it's your own type of war in your life. It could be any number of things. Regardless of those surface conditions, we need to anchor our hope in Jesus. And I think Psalm 16 captures well this cry of hope from David. And so, listen to these words from Psalm 16. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. This is the hope that God has called us to. Jesus is our hope. And Jesus has permanently drawn the lines of our inheritance. One day, we will delight forevermore with our King. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for these uh, encouraging words from the author of Hebrews, Father, that Uh, shapes but also nourishes our hope as we head into this new year, this new decade, Father. Uh, You know our hearts better than we know them ourselves. And I pray uh, that wherever we are looking, wherever uh, we are searching for hope, Father, I pray that uh, 
you will help us to see where we are misplacing our hope. Father, and help us by your Spirit to anchor our hope in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So do be with us, Father, as we enter this new year and, and help us to place our hope in you alone. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our King. Amen.